Hey everyone, this is Andy, better known as Love Retro BTW on Twitter X, Threads, IG, and Cafe BTW on TikTok and YouTube. A quick update that the Cafe BTW podcast is taking a very long hiatus, but I still have something really amazing to share with you. We have a fantastic retro gaming community on Twitter X, where we've crossed well over 2,000 passionate members. And if you're a lover of retro gaming, this is the perfect place to share your content, showcase your pickups, or just chat about your favorite old school games. To dive into nostalgia and become a part of the thriving community, click in the show notes on the Cafe BTW link tree, or go right to my Twitter X profile on Love Retro BTW. And now, without further ado, gear up for another sensational episode of the Gamers Week Podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week Podcast. But my favorite part about this article is that Disney is making a persistent universe with Fortnite, which to me is such an interesting adjective to use, persistent. It's like, why don't you say continual? Why don't you say endless? But you say persistent. <laughs> it makes it sound like something you go back to your doctor for after a month and say the cream's not working. <laughs> this thing's persistent. <laughs> Def- definitely heard that a few times. <laughs> Is this a good volume? Yeah, I'm, you sound great. Okay, Perfect. Great. Zach, your voice sounds velvety smooth, and I think I might touch myself to it. That's I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with that. Okay, cool. First one's free. <laughs> <laughs> Second one's going to cost. Um, Zach, are you able to record a local backup like on Audacity or something just in case? I'm recording two local backups. Oh, he's good. Ooh. He's very good. And I've actually got you guys backed up too. Because I'm backups a paranoid freak. Backups. Yeah. Two? Better make it three. Exactly. <laughs> you got a cold, Donnie? I do. I was uh, feeling kind of crummy myself this morning. Oh. But I'm uh, on a whole bunch of pseudoephedrine right now. So, <laughs> doing better. Good. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to get started? Yes, ma'am. Give me one second. I'm going to grab a tissue. Be right back. Was it my voice that is why Donnie needs a tissue? Yeah, I was going to make a similar <laughs> joke. I'm not grounded for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 109, and today is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host for this evening. But of course, I am not alone. I do have two fine co-hosts with me. My first co-host may not know how to pick locks or identify doors, but he sure does rock that 80s Sigourney Weaver haircut <laughs> i have with me the one and only donnie g what the hell are you talking about i don't rock a what's wait for it weaver hair? wait for it wait for what what did we do what did we do on monday night 
Ah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I uh, I made an avatar that had the Sigourney Weaver esque hairstyle, and you know what? I'm loving it. <laughs> it was beautiful, majestic. And as for my second co-host, after his acapella cover was heard last week by his idol, Ryan Payne was immediately hired as a backup singer for Taylor Swift and will be on tour with her for the next month. So we wish him luck with that. Bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Filling in, however, we have Zach Huge Thanks, host of Absolutely the Best Podcast, A Work in Progress, where Zach and his co-host George discuss and rank the MCU movies. Zach, thanks so much for filling in tonight. Oh, happy to help out. Welcome, Zach. Thank you. So tell us a bit about yourself and about your show. Um, Well, the show is my friend George and I, uh, as you said, going through the MCU movies and kind of trying to be brief in covering them, but I tend to not be brief. Um, and But then at the end of each episode, we're going to rank them against the ones that we've already covered. So we're only three in right now, but we've already had one disagreement. And so when that happens, we have to do Trivial Pursuit Poker, uh, Infinity Saga <laughs> Trivial Pursuit Poker to see you know who gets to, to rank it where. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of editing. I enjoy it. <laughs> Would you consider the Spider-Man and Captain America movies from the 70s as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen those. And oh. if we ever gain like enough popularity to have a, a Patreon or something, then I would definitely cover something like that. <laughs> I uh, think you need to. As extras, yeah. Do I need to or do you just want me to? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you should. To appreciate what we have, you have to go back and look at how it all started. That was deep. Well, I'm, you, might have to, you might have to guest host on that. <laughs> I would love to. All right. Well, of course, we'll have all of Zach's information in the show notes. So when you're done here, be sure to head on over and check out Absolutely the Best Podcast. But for now, let's get the show started with our reviews, reactions, and requests. At Arcane Maid said, Sorry, guys, but Family Matters is not a spinoff of Full House. It is, in fact, a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. Harriet Winslow was an established character on the show before Family Matters started. She was the elevator operator. And I saw that, and I immediately, it immediately clicked. Harriet was the uh, elevator operator, and I, I had gotten them confused because I know I saw Steve Urkel on Full House, but it didn't make sense for them to have a spinoff for him to all of, all of a sudden just show up in Chicago and that be the show. The show was not centered around Steve Urkel. It was centered around the Winslows. I made a mistake. Thank you for calling me out. Yeah, um, I, I I never watched it, so not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw a clip here and there, but I do remember, actually, now that you mentioned it, I do remember the elevator operator on Perfect Strangers. That was one that I did watch. Did you watch it religiously? I don't know. I mean, we didn't have a VCR back then, so probably not. (laughs) (laughs) And back then, if you missed it, you missed it. You were were out of luck. All right. Next up from Jeremy McQueen. Good show this week. I enjoyed Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Thanks to repeats of it. Also love the Kiernan Shipka version on Netflix. And at Son of Pootie Tang says, great episode this week. It made me laugh and helped with my erectile dysfunction. <laughs> what, what can you expect with a name like Son of Pootie Tang? I was, was going to say, that great, that's a great handle. Pootie Tang's a highly underrated movie, if you ask me. Yes, be sure to tell your physicians <laughs> to prescribe a healthy dose of Gamers Week. Sadate. <laughs> And now it's time for the It's 
going to be an hour before they bring in Gamers Week podcast. Gamers Week? Do they even know what they're doing? Ever? <laughs> Do we? What? I need options for this very important poll. There are people online who can't vote right now. You put up whatever answers you can. You give them choices. I need the last one to be other. Why the hell should I take orders from you? <laughs> are those blasters in the background? <laughs> I need options for this very important poll. You put up whatever answers you can. I need the last one to be other. Well, we got its attention. What the hell was step two? (laughs) I know what this is. What's the story with Twitter? The power surrounding the poll is impenetrable. Four was right, and they're calling it X now. How do we do this? As co-host, I have unfinished business with Elon. Yeah, get in line. Save it. Elon's going to keep this fight focused on us, and that's what we need. Without him, these things could be overrun by bots. We've got Stark online. He's going to need us. So, this all seems horrible. (laughs) Yeah, that's Twitter for you. Sorry. We could use a little help. Stark, we got him. Banner? Just like you said. Then tell him to suit up. I'm bringing the pull to you. (laughs) Now I know what it's from. (laughs) I don't see how that's a pull. Dr. Banner? Now might be a really good time for you to vote other... That's my secret, Uh-oh. Captain. <laughs> I always vote. Other. I'm always voting. <laughs> Very nice, Zach. Very nice. No, thank you. Well, I don't know if I would have done it if Blue didn't go. Hey, do you also want to do the VIP? <laughs> it's like, ah! That's my secret, Cap. I always vote other. <laughs> I almost yeah, never so- choose the the choices that are presented to me. <laughs> Pretty much never. Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP, very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. This week's question, who is the most badass queen in video games? Coming in in third place, we have Sindel from Mortal Kombat at 16%. In second place, the Dark Queen from Battletoads with 23.4%. And in first place, with 33%, Kerrigan from StarCraft. We also have 27.7% of people who voted other, just like Bruce Banner. (laughs) (laughs) let's look at some of the comments from the poll at k connor writer says i'm going to speak up for my girl the baddest of all badasses queen of the red dragon flight scourge of evil aspect of life the power of the tower queen alexstraza i think i got that right (laughs) (laughs) that was the phonetically correct pronunciation right there the mad milkman says sylvanas from world of warcraft Sure, her story went off the rails in later expansions, but she tore a hole between Azeroth and the Afterlife. That is badass. That's a hell of a hole. (laughs) (laughs) Captain N underscore DK, seeing as you opted for the words bad, ass, and queen, I think there's only one right answer. The evil queen, pulsating, bloated, festering, sweaty, pus-filled, malformed, slug for a butt from Earthworm Jim. (laughs) <laughs> Say that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a queen with a bad ass. At Chaos Bam Bam says, Peaches, 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 peaches. 
but I'm going to disqualify him because Peaches is a princess and not a queen. <laughs> oh, we're bringing out the actuallys. <laughs> actually. Yep, you got actually, Todd. Who would have to die for Princess Peach to become queen? Very good question. Mm. Uh, and lastly, at Doongie Forever, that has to be Gamers Week's very own Blue Williams for everything she has to put up with and still kicks ass and her crazy laugh. And now we know another one of Blue's alt accounts. <laughs> uh, when when my evil minions take over the world, Doongi, you will be spared. Thank you very much. I would not put it past Blue to do something like that. <laughs> Cre- create an alt account, become a patron member, and then start filling it with like, oh, Blue is so awesome. Oh my God, she's just got a great voice and she's she kicks a lot of ass. Yay, go Blue. She's the podcast daddy. No, you know, never has, has Doongi said anything untrue? Uh, no comment. <laughs> so how did you guys answer the polls you know this is a tough one kerrigan is an amazing answer the queen of blades from starcraft but you know i'm also torn i kind of want to vote lilith from diablo queen of succubi mm. because she rules hell as opposed to just ruling the zerg so uh, i think i might go with lilith on this God. one yeah. <laughs> oh no did somebody get their answer taken Yes, thanks for not asking me to go first, Sack. <laughs> well, Blue paid me to pick her first. See, I told you. I told you she's not above that bullshit. Oh, Zach only cost like 75 cents. It was a hell of a deal. Oof, that's I'll, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you vote, Donnie? By three they come. By three thy way opens. By the blood of the willing, we call thee home. Hail, daughter of hatred, creator of sanctuary. Hail, Lilith. Lilith is who I chose. She is the queen of the succubi. As Blue said, she is the daughter of Mephesto, and she is one badass chick. She and Inarius formed an alliance, basically got married, uh, had a kid, and they created Sanctuary. So you, you are right. She rules in hell, and her cinematic for Diablo 4, when she just like gets created from this blood that spilled on this sacred ground, that is one of the most badass cinematic entrances I've ever seen. But this is something that Activision Blizzard, or I'm sorry, Blizzard, is well known for <laughs> with their cinematics. And this one just kind of blew me away. So when I saw this, I was like, I I kind of took a break from Diablo 3, but when I saw this cinematic, I was like, I'm all in for Diablo 4. Let's go Lilith. Lilith was my choice. Yeah, Don't forget their new name. It's Actibliz. Uh, uh, no, no. I don't. <laughs> now I see the cheesy commercial with the lighting. Yep. Actibliz. Actibliz. That's, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> So what about you, Zach? What do you think? Oh, well, first of all, I think you guys need to have a nerd off about Lilith. Um, <laughs> who more facts. Nerd off. Um, I, I like the Battletoads Dark Queen. She's got a little bit of a, a lot of bit of a Dominatrix vibe, and I don't mind that at all. <laughs> um, but I'd probably go with Other and say the Metroid Queen, because everything comes down to Metroid for me. Oh. You know, kind of looks call. like a toy that I had as a kid, and you get more Metroids than you could shake a stick at. Is that what you're supposed to do with Metroid? <laughs> you would need a very special stick, probably. <laughs> Giggity. And you are right. The Dark Queen from Battletoad. She's got the little corset. The Did I uh, awaken something in you, Donnie? Yeah. She made quite an impression on you young boys. <laughs> I've been... Uh, I'm, 
I don't remember seeing her from a long time ago. So, yeah, I'm going to have to look at some fan fiction or something after the episode. <laughs> Good thing you have lots of Kleenex. <laughs> Puffs Plus with lotion. That's, that's the best kind. You got to get those. Always. All right. Let's move on to our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. We have a brand new patron to announce. A big thank you and welcome to John Baran. He'll be joining Sassy Sony, Evil Lust, Rai Rai's secret best friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Mora Deeb, Michael LeKite, Emo Esque, Bill Tucker, The Real Retro Game Brews, Fruitcakes Pickled Pepper, Ducks with Thick Thighs, Wizard of Sardoz, Bops and Dugnut, Loud Moth, Retro Blast Pat, Great Cyaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, The Mad Milkman, Seven Castle Forest, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Doongie Forever, aka Blue Williams II, Ducks in Disguise, <laughs> Don't Make Me Pull Over This Car, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, Matto 1606, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, The Red Ox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, and Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek, or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. And Michael LeKite, please come back to the Discord. It's in chaos and disarray now that you're not there to say good morning every day. I have missed his good mornings. Yes. Not going to lie. We need you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our headline segment. And our headlines are, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Robin Hugh picked two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. The podcast is currently on a short break, but there are five seasons worth of episodes ready to pleasure your ear holes. Such as episode 00 at the show's debut episode nearly five years ago, where the guys discuss why nostalgia is so powerful for retro gaming. Visit them at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. So in 10 words or less, why is nostalgia so powerful for retro gaming? I think nostalgia and retro gaming kind of go hand in hand because in, what, 20 years, this current generation of gaming will be retro gaming. So all the kids that have gotten their PS4s, their PS5s, their Xbox Xs, you know, that'll be the, the game consoles that they cut their teeth on and learn how to play. So that will be nostalgic for them when they're 25 years old and possibly having kids and saying, hey, let's fire up the old Xbox One. Oh, wait, we can't get online. It's up. Oh, oh, never mind. That was the not less than 10 words. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> Sorry. That sounds about as depressing as when you go to the grocery store and you hear the songs oh, of God. your youth that were like, I know what you're going to say. So edgy and that upset the parents. Now it just plays at the grocery store like any humdrum elevator music. Yeah, it, it always kills me a little bit to hear like Guns N' Roses on the classic rock station. Yeah, or like Blue's example, you, you're walking through the uh, the supermarket and all of a sudden you hear the, the elevator music of 
bow down before the one you serve. Oh, no. Listening to the Muzak version of Nine Inch Nails while you're deciding what sort of fiber cereal you want. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't mind that so much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is how you know you're old. Not denying it. <laughs> From PC Gamer, FTC hits Microsoft with federal complaint over Game Division's layoff. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has filed a complaint with the Federal Appeals Court over Microsoft's plan to lay off 1,900 employees from its gaming division, saying the move contradicts Microsoft's commitment to maintaining the studio's operational independence while the FTC pursues its case against the merger. Microsoft completed its takeover of ActaBlizz in October 2023, almost immediately after the U.K.'s Competition and Market Authority reversed direction and approved the deal. The U.S. situation is a little more complicated. The FTC moved to block the takeover, but a request for a temporary injunction against it was denied, enabling Microsoft to move ahead with the takeover, even though the FTC hadn't given it the green light. In essence, this means that if the FTC ultimately prevails against the deal, Microsoft will have to effectively unacquire ActaBlizz. A move Microsoft said in its ultimately successful argument wouldn't be a big deal because the post-merger company will be structured and operated in a way that would readily enable Microsoft to divest any or all of the Activision businesses as robust market participants in the unlikely event that such a divesture is ordered. But the planned layoff of nearly 2,000 employees announced just three months after the completion of the 69-nice billion-dollar Activision Blizzard deal has the FTC calling foul. In a letter to the ninth. Circuit Court of Appeals, the FTC said the layoff announcement contradicts the foregoing representations it made to this court. Moreover, the reported elimination of thousands of jobs undermines the FTC's ability to order effective relief should the pending administrative proceeding result in a determination that Microsoft's acquisition of Activision violated Section 7 of the Clayton Act. It's also interesting that the complaint cleaves fairly close to a point the FTC made in its initial opposition to the acquisition, that Microsoft made multiple Bethesda games exclusive to Xbox after acquiring the studio, despite assurances it had given to European antitrust authorities that it had no incentive to withhold games from rival consoles. In other words, what Microsoft says and what it does aren't always perfectly aligned. Well, I for one am shocked. <laughs> shocked, shocked, I tell shocked you. Shocked that corporations are going to corporate. <laughs> corporations got to corporate, yeah. I mean, I feel like we joked about this a lot before. Like, wouldn't it be funny if Microsoft just said what it needed to to get the deal to go through and then decided it was going to make all the games exclusive anyways or said, oh, I know, we'll make Call of Duty available everywhere except for PlayStation. Like, these were the kinds of things that yeah. we joked about before. Right. This statement by the FTC is already almost just a little bit out of date, and we'll get to that more in our main topic because there's been rumors flying everywhere this week that Microsoft is going to put Starfield on other platforms and it's going to take the upcoming Indiana Jones game and put that on PlayStation. And it's it's set the internet on fire and the fanboys are losing their minds. And so, <laughs> like I said, we'll get to that more in the other show, but it it's an interesting thought about does this complaint by the FTC have anything to do with that move that Microsoft is planning on making? You have to figure the, the executives are smart, S-M-O-R-T. <laughs> so smart. did they have this plan in effect prior to the merger with Activision Blizzard? And if so, then they never planned to keep these employees on anyway. They were always planning to get that resource in from Activision Blizzard, have the, the technology, the IPs and all that stuff, 
and say, hey, we already have these people here at Microsoft. We don't need you anymore. Or you guys do some cross training and everything like that. You learn our stuff. He learns your stuff. There you go. Now we have these couple of people that can do this. Okay, everybody else, you're gone. That's kind of shitty, knowing that you were going to do that to almost 2,000 employees. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it was a planned thing. They they plan on having these 1,900 employees go have a meeting with the Bobs. And, you know, it's standard procedure. Tell me somebody got that reference. I got it. Thank you. <laughs> what do you do here? <laughs> I'm a people person. I have people skills. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that was something that they planned well in advance of, of this merger was taking a look at the books and saying, oh, well, not only will we acquire all these IP, but we know that we can cut some fat here, here and here. Put the ink on the paper. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, there's going to be redundancies and they're going to want to eliminate them. That's That actually happens for any type of merger or takeover or what have you. Yeah. I kind of like, though, this whole like vendetta that the FTC has against this deal, where it seems like of the course. regulatory bodies of the rest of the world just kind of eventually accepted it. They didn't like it at first, and then like, okay, whatever. Yeah, let it go through. But it's only the American FTC that's, that just continues to fight against this tooth and nail. And I kind of wonder, who pissed off who? Like somebody had a golf game and it went bad and now this got personal. And so the FTC just continues to fight this thing long after it's been dead. I mean, do you really think that Microsoft would ever unacquire Actiblaze? Uh, based on the article, and it says that it's, uh, in case something did happen like that, that they're ready to just branch that off and, and sell it or do whatever with it. I think they maybe they, they thought that this might happen. Sounds like they're like, no big deal. Go ahead. That's some balls on Microsoft's part, right? To just be like, eh, laissez-faire about it, not even worried too much. Like, oh, this billion, $69 billion acquisition that we just had, eh, whatever. We can just kind of just write it off, do whatever. We don't, we don't really care about it. Yeah. But I mean, based on what we also discussed last week, the Xbox are getting outsold three to one by the PlayStation, but yet Oof. Microsoft patting itself on the back for getting, I don't know, was it was a 62% increase in their video game income over the year because of this merger? I think if they were were forced to unacquire Activision Blizzard, it would be an enormous deal. I don't think it would be anything small time. You're right. Um, it, it, it could be very ballsy on their part, or, or they're just kind of fronting and hoping nobody calls their bluff. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. Time will tell. From Games Radar, Fortnite is turning into Kingdom Hearts as Disney pumps $1.5 billion into Epic Games to make a persistent universe with Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and Avatar. Disney is buying a $1.5 billion equity stake in Epic Games and kicking off a multi-year project with the studio that'll see a new persistent universe of familiar properties that connects with Fortnite. There's a lot to unpack here, and that starts with how the press release describes the new project. In addition to being a world-class games experience and interoperating with Fortnite, the new persistent universe will offer a multitude of opportunities for consumers to play, watch, shop, and engage with content, characters, and stories from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Avatar, and more. And holy comma, Batman. <laughs> oh, they're missing missing the Oxford comma. <laughs> <laughs> Players, gamers, and fans will be able to create their own stories and experiences, express their fandom in a distinctly Disney way, and share content with each other in ways that they love. This will all be powered by Unreal Engine. Elsewhere in the release, the project is described as an all-new games and entertainment universe. 
There's a brief teaser video that mostly just shows existing footage from Fortnite and the Disney brands, but it does note four central features in this project. Play, watch, create, and shop. That all sounds in keeping with what Fortnite has become over the past few years, but I have to admit that it's still a little weird seeing shop listed as a central selling point. The teaser ends with the promise that this multi-year project will launch soon-ish. This marks Disney's biggest entry ever into the world of games and offers us significant opportunities for growth and expansion, Disney head Bob Iger says in the press release. We can't wait for fans to experience the Disney stories and worlds they love in groundbreaking new ways. And I'm sorry, did you say that this is the biggest entry ever into the world of games? You don't count the countless games that Disney has released back in the 90s with like Lion King, Aladdin and all of those? Yeah, but I don't think the Lion King costs $1.5 billion. Well, okay. All right. So <laughs> you're right. It didn't cost $1.5 billion for them to, to make that. So the biggest cost, that should probably be stated here. Um, not their biggest entry ever. You know, I, I think that remains to be seen with how well this thing does. I mean, some, some people do associate, you know, cost with worth, Right. So, you know, like, yeah. this is the most we've ever spent on a video game. So it's the best. <laughs> that always is true. <laughs> yeah. I, critics would have something to say about that. Right. But, but also Disney, as far as I know, they have stayed out of video games mostly. It's like they take their IP and they license it out. But Disney itself stays out of the video games. And maybe this is a point where Disney's finally saying, no, we need to be the ones to do this. That could also be it. I also don't really know how are they supposed to make their 1.5 billion and profit back? Because isn't Fortnite free? Like, are these characters going to be pay to play? Here's the thing with Fortnite. Yes, it's free, but there are battle passes and stuff that you can buy that unlock characters. There's a Mm. shop that you can pay money. Obviously, I don't know if, if you've ever seen this, but the Fortnite shop, you can buy skins that look like uh, Peter Griffin or Han Solo or Darth Vader and stuff like that. They have these special events that if you buy the Battle Pass, uh, which costs like $10 or something, then you can earn these points that will allow you to purchase this stuff in a shop. I mean, Zach's point is, is well made then. At 10 bucks a pop, $1.5 billion is going to be real slow coming back to them. That's a lot of skins. <laughs> but with how much money Fortnite does... Annually, I, I think that's not going to be that big of a problem because of how popular it still remains. And you have Fortnite continuously doing all of these different events with all of these other IP addresses or not IP addresses, <laughs> <laughs> all of these intellectual properties. They just did the Family Guy thing with like Peter Griffin and the chicken from Family Guy that (laughs) that go in there and you can fight each other. So they've done Star Wars. They've done, I think there was a horror thing that they've done or something like that. They've done the Avengers stuff where you could get the Infinity Gauntlet and be Thanos. So with all of this stuff that comes out from Disney, you got Marvel, you got Star Wars, Pixar. The the possibilities are endless as to the characters that could allow in there. Hell, they could even have something with Lightning McQueen. You could play as the car and you could still shoot people in Fortnite. <laughs> He's holding the gun with his tires. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's possible. Um, so with the amount of stuff that they have in their catalog and in their vault, I don't see them not being able to recoup their $1.5 billion investment. I think that the money's going to come back in droves as long as Fortnite still stays popular. 
Well, I just looked it up online. Um, Fortnite generated $4.4 billion revenue in 2022. It peaked at $5.4 billion in 2018. So I, I don't know how much of that total Fortnite revenue would be due back to Disney for something like this. I, I, I was curious about this earlier and I, I looked up a little bit too. And so $1.5 billion is about 4 to 5% of what Epic Games is worth. Okay. So I would assume Damn. if they if Epic Games brings in five billion, did you say? Yeah. Um, and in a year, then Disney gets like four or five percent of that, maybe. So over a couple of years, they could make it back and then yeah, keep I it guess. going and make back their money. I mean, Disney accountants are probably second to none. They know exactly what they're doing and how they plan to make this money back. Yeah. I mean, if you get an, yeah, if you get an ROI of like I don't know five or ten years, that's not so bad. Mm-mm. But uh, I mean, maybe they expect that it's going to boost sales of skins much higher, and they're going to get it back faster. I don't know. I think that could be it, especially with. All of the young kids that play Fortnite, uh, kids love shooters for some odd reason. And But you couple that with your favorite Disney characters. Like, can you see the little brain that watches all of the cars, the Finding Nemo, the Snow Whites and stuff like that? Oh, now Snow White can be running around whatever particular environment that comes from a Disney movie. It may not be the one that she's from, but she's in there with an AK-47 chasing down <laughs> Dory. And she's like... Doo, 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 doo. She's done waiting for that Prince Charming. She's going to take care of the Wicked Queen herself. She's going to go get her kiss. I see this as a, I wouldn't say smart move, but I think it's a smart gamble. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there is the the thing that old people such as myself think it's a complete bastardization of the IP that we love. Like you said, Lightning McQueen and Snow White running around with guns. Like their characters would never do that, but it doesn't matter. In Fortnite, you have the gun, you run around, you shoot other players, and that's what you do. And people can't get enough of it. But my favorite part about this article is that Disney is making a persistent universe with Fortnite, which to me is such an interesting adjective to use, persistent. It's like, why don't you say continual? Why don't you say endless? But you say persistent. (laughs) It makes it sound like something you go back to your doctor for after a month and say the cream's not working. (laughs) This thing's persistent. (laughs) Definitely heard that a few times. All right, next up from IGN, Kurt Russell explains why he didn't voice Solid Snake in Metal Gear Solid. Kurt Russell has opened up about why he didn't voice Solid Snake or any of the snakes in Hideo Kojima's original Metal Gear Solid, responding to rumors that he was offered the role. The Escape from New York and The Thing actor spilled the beans during an interview with GQ. He says he's a movie guy, adding that for him, it's important to work on new characters rather than trying to provide new takes on old ones. There have been many different times when people wanted to do something. I don't know. I'm a movie guy, Russell said. You've got to understand that from my point of view, whether it's Elvis or Snake Plissken or Jack Burton or R.G. McGreedy, that was that project. That was that thing. You get into that mindset. You create that. You want to make that world happen. Characters like Solid Snake and Big Boss were famously inspired by Russell's escape from New York character, Snake Plissken. But the similarities don't stop at eye patches and good hair. Outside of being a walking homage to the 80s action character, reference to Plissken's name and quotes from the character can be found littered throughout the entire MGS series. MGS did go on to pick David Hayter to play its Snake, so it's hard to say what the series would have looked like if Russell had ever signed on. 
I wasn't interested in expanding financially off of something that we had created or that I had created in terms of character, Russell added. Let's go do something new. Let's go do something fresh. Let's go create another iconic character rather than saying, what can we bleed off of this iconic character? As Russell moves on from recent projects like Monarch Legacy of Monsters, the Metal Gear Solid series is in a strange place. No new mainline game has been released since Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain came to players in 2015. However, Konami is in the middle of releasing upgraded versions of some of the franchise's biggest hits. I I was going to say, when you started reading that, I was going to say, I don't think Kurt Russell likes money. And then he almost almost literally said those words. (laughs) I wasn't interested in expanding financially. I guess he just doesn't need it that bad. I mean, you got to respect that, right? Especially now when everybody's idea of creating new content is just to reboot and remake everything that's Mm -hmm. been successful before. So to see somebody who said, no, I don't want to do the same thing. I want to go in and do something else. I think that's great. And especially because at the time in the 80s, uh, there was nothing hotter than 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you like the old Jack Burton, did you? Uh, a little bit. 80s Kurt Russell. Mm. <laughs> the, uh, the sleeveless t-shirt helps. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, Indeed. it does. Uh, but you're right. I'm taking a look at Kurt Russell's catalogs because uh, uh, immediately when I started reading this, I was thinking, does he have a lot of movies that had sequels? And I think there are only a few. You only had two movies with the Escape from LA You had or Escape from New York and Escape from LA. You had the Christmas Chronicles and the Christmas Chronicles 2, and I think that's it. Somebody, somebody's going to actually me on this one, but I <laughs> for sure. Those are the Probably. only two series where he's he's actually done as the main character and he's reprised his role. So my hat's off to him for really staying true to what he said. Like he doesn't want to go back and continuously be known for this character and continue to bleed it dry like some actors and actresses have, or they're like, oh, yeah, this is still going to pay me a royalty check? Sure. I'll do Rocky 5000. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> or like the poor actors in the MCU movies and Zach could probably speak more on this, but they're like, please let us out the contract, Disney. Yeah. We don't want to do this anymore. Some of them don't even remember which movies they were in. Right. <laughs> That tells you that you were working too hard if you don't remember which movies you're in. You're real good at phoning it in. Yeah, yeah. you're good at phoning it in or that Disney has decided to be so convoluted about their process and their scripting that they're just like, here, read this scene. Okay. And then you don't know if it ever makes it in a final cut or not. <laughs> right. But he says, you know, Snake Plissken was iconic, became iconic in the 80s. And so he didn't want to go do a character that was just going to be a ripoff of Snake Plissken. But Solid Snake became iconic in his own right, eventually. I agree with that. I feel like they're different enough. Certainly in like the NES Metal Gear game, mm-hmm. he's not speaking. And so the only thing you can really go on is, oh, this is like Kurt Russell in Escape from New York. So in your mind, maybe his like maybe Snake is like that. But I feel like in the certainly in the later games, it's a different character. Well, and whenever I first played Metal Gear Solid, I didn't get the whole Snake Plissken vibe from it. Yes, you know, the, the two guys were the name Snake and you're just like, oh, okay, maybe there's a similarity here. But when you look at the cover art for Metal Gear for the NES, the, it's the... It's Michael Bean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the guy from Terminator and from Aliens and everything. So, you know, that's who I first thought of whenever I saw Snake. But then whenever we got his upgrade in Metal Gear Solid, you know, he's got long hair and whatnot. And that it's, it kind of makes a, or shows a resemblance to Kurt Russell's uh, Snake Plissken character. So, like, in the earlier entries, I didn't really see it. But afterwards, then I started seeing a connection. 
And I do love that kind of middle finger at the end where Kurt Russell's career is still going strong. And what is Metal Gear doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's not creating anything new. It's releasing upgraded versions of their classic hits. Upgraded in quotations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because they just had that Metal Gear collection that was kind of... I just tanked. Mm-hmm. I did not hear good things. Nope. All right, let's move on to our top three new releases. Here is two of top three new releases. Foam Stars for the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. Introducing Foam Stars, the new four versus four online party shooter for the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. Use foam to build terrain, create slippery surfaces to surf around the arena at high speed, help defend from enemy attacks, or create vantage points to take out the opponents. And most importantly, to foam up the opposition. Each foam star uses their own unique foam gun and skill set to fight. Who will you choose as your champion? And Helldivers 2, PlayStation 5 and PC. Freedom, peace, democracy. Enlist in the Helldivers and join the fight to rid the galaxy of the rising alien threats in this fast, frantic, and ferocious third-person shooter. Players use a variety of weapons, pistols, machine guns, flamethrowers, and stratagems like turrets, airstrikes, etc., to shoot and kill the alien threat. Join the greatest military force the galaxy has ever seen and make this a safe and free place to live. So, which are you guys going to play of these two top three games? I, I'll call on Donnie first this time so he doesn't get butt hurt. <laughs> Thanks for calling me out like that, Zach. <laughs> I'm going to say zero because none of these two games look interesting to me. We had touched on uh, Foam Stars, I think it's been six months now. But whenever it came out, we're like, oh, this is totally a Splatoon ripoff, yep. yada, yada, yada. There's, there's no other reason to make this game other than to see if you can't get your piece of the Splatoon pie. And that's exactly what they're doing. So I don't plan on playing this. I've never played Splatoon, and I don't plan on start with Foam Stars, which leaves us with Helldivers 2. None of this looks even remotely interesting to me. <laughs> I'm I'm a first-person shooter person to an extent. Uh, I never was big on Halo. Anything like futuristic space stuff, it, it doesn't tickle my fancy. So I, I I really don't get the point of Helldivers 2. Uh, I've never even heard of Helldivers 1. Nope. So this just doesn't... It looks like it's got um, Starship Troopers and Destiny written all over it. And I don't like Destiny. I like Starship Troopers. But I don't think that's enough for me to, to go out and pick up this game. So for me, I think I'm just going to keep playing what I've been playing for the past couple of weeks and not pick up any of these games. And what about you, Blue? Well, I was going to say the same thing about Helldivers 2 in that it looks like if Starship Troopers and Destiny had a baby and you would get ah! <laughs> Helldivers 2. <laughs> That sounds pretty good. At least in that sense. I mean, it might be kind of funny. It might have that kind of dry humor that Starship Troopers has. So I don't know. It might be worth a, a check out there. And at least it's not a first person shooter. So I have a chance at being able to play it. So maybe, maybe I'll pick that one. But yeah, <laughs> Foam Star is definitely not. This is just a chance to soak up some of the Splatoon money and see if you can get people away from their Nintendo Switches. It's a blatant ripoff, not interested in the least. So probably Helldivers 2 if I had to pick one. It's like we're connected. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Zach? 
Uh, well, I'm a Nintendrone through and through, so neither one of these would be applicable to me. But if I had to pick, um, Foam Stars sounds like something I want to do in real life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you guys kind of sold me on Helldivers with the, uh, or Helldivers 2. <laughs> With the um, Starship Troopers uh, analogy, I guess you would call it. So um, I guess I'm going to go out and pick up a PS5 and Helldivers 2, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the game that funny made Zach get a PS5. <laughs> One does not simply go out and pick up a PS5. Right. You're going to pick up a PS5 because of one game? Right. Just for the sake of the show. Oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> Could never get Ryan to do it. Right. I wonder, he probably would have picked Foam Stars because it's like Splatoon, right? Of course yeah. he would Yeah, have. he totally would have. Ryan, you've been replaced. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main topic for the evening. From GeekWire, end of console wars? Microsoft could set new precedent by bringing Xbox games to PlayStation. Rumors have been in circulation for weeks that Microsoft might publish some of its exclusive games on competing consoles. Now a new report indicates that one of the most anticipated Xbox games of 2024 may also be a cross-platform release. The Verge reported over the weekend that Microsoft is exploring the possibility of publishing a new game made by its Bethesda subsidiary, Indiana Jones and the Grand Circle, for Sony's PlayStation 5, its primary competitor in the console market. This joins persistent rumors throughout January that Microsoft was already planning to bring a couple of its other console exclusives, such as Tango Gameworks Hi-Fi Rush, to the PS5 and Nintendo Switch. Microsoft has neither publicly confirmed nor denied the report, but on Monday, Xbox boss Phil Spencer drink, drink, posted on X, We're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week, where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. Should these rumors prove true... This would be approximately on par with the idea of Hulu licensing its original programming to Netflix or Disney+. There aren't many precedents for this sort of move in the console gaming space. That being said, this isn't particularly strange for Microsoft, which has published Minecraft for every platform under the sun since it bought Mojang Studios in 2014. That includes its console rivals Nintendo and Sony, as well as iOS and Android. Minecraft is such a monolith in modern video games that it can be hard to remember that someone actually owns it. It just sort of exists, like mountains or the moon. But Microsoft has already been a cross-platform video game publisher for almost a decade. It also matches the concessions Microsoft made to get the Activision Blizzard acquisition across the finish line, which involved agreements to continue to bring games like Call of Duty to the PlayStation for the foreseeable future. If Microsoft is already contractually bound to release some new games on rival consoles, then at least on paper, it makes sense to release a few others. Even so, this is a big departure from what longtime fans and analysts have grown to expect out of the games industry. The last decision comparable to this was arguably when the Japanese company Sega ended production on the Dreamcast in 2000 in favor of becoming a third-party games publisher. It subsequently brought many of its exclusive franchises, such as Sonic the Hedgehog, to its former competitors' consoles. That's led to a lot of fans wondering out loud if the Great Circle deal might also mark a Sega moment for Xbox. At time of writing, though, that question is premature. For one thing, the finalized acquisition of Activision Blizzard means Xbox is now a bigger part of Microsoft's bottom line than ever before. As per its January 30th earnings report, Microsoft's gaming sector exceeded Windows in revenue for the first time in company history. For all its drama in 2023, such as the underperformance of Redfall and Starfield's mixed reception from fans, Xbox has never been bigger or more lucrative than it is right now. 
If anything, this would follow up on a consistent topic that various Xbox insiders, executives, and creators have brought up for the last few years. Console exclusives, as per their argument, simply limit a game's potential audience. While that exclusivity has traditionally been one of the major marketing points for buying one console over another, Microsoft has pivoted away from the strategy in the last decade. Back in June, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella testified in court that he would love to get rid of the entire exclusives on consoles, but that's not for me to define, especially as a low-share player in the console market. The dominant player there, Sony, has defined market competition using exclusives, so that's the world we live in. I have no love for that world. Against that backdrop, if Microsoft were to start publishing its Xbox exclusives for the other platforms, it would suggest that it's fully abandoned the previous concept of the console war. There are no reported plans on the horizon for Microsoft to stop producing physical Xboxes, but it suggests that in the future, it plans to continue to sell the Xbox as an ecosystem rather than a console. In so doing, it's moving out into previously uncharted territory. Is it previously uncharted? Didn't he just talk about? <laughs> didn't he just talk about Sega? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Donnie, you keep saying that Sega is going to be back in a big way. I know. I, as much <laughs> as I want Sega to be back in a big way, I don't think they will ever come back out with a console. Here's the big difference between Sega and Xbox. Sega actually turned a profit on their consoles. Microsoft has never turned a profit on any of the Xbox consoles, mm. which is crazy if you think about it. The fact that we have a console war between Xbox and PlayStation when Microsoft has never turned a profit on any of these consoles. So it's smart for them to now get out. So they bought up all of these different intellectual properties. They bought up all of these different companies that made them. Now they all have them underneath their umbrella. So they have all these studios. And now it's time to say, we don't need the console anymore because we can license these games to PlayStation. We can license these games to iOS and Nintendo and whatever, whatever console that you want to play your particular game on. Great. We can, you can now play that game. We can reach so many different markets or so many different people, people who were focused only on Xbox before. Well, now go out, expand, go out and have your Nintendo switch, have your PS5. You can play it on whatever you like. That would also you know, be a big STFU to the FTC because <laughs> no more worry about the exclusivity thing we talked about earlier. Of course. So if this was their game plan all along with buying uh, Activision Blizzard, now having the Call of Duty moniker, uh, where they say, oh, yeah, we'll sign a deal that, you know, it'll, it'll make it available on, on PS5 for, or PlayStation consoles for, you know, up to 10 years or yada, yada. When they knew that this was their goal all along to stop making an Xbox console and just release the game on the PS5 or whatever PlayStation console they decide to come out with. And now they don't have to spend money and lose money with their own consoles. They can just reap in the profits from, from the game licenses. Now, maybe they start turning a profit with this stuff, a true profit. Yeah, you know, I don't think we would be having this conversation at all if Redfall and Starfield had proven to be the hits that Xbox swore up and down they would be. Because Redfall, of course, was the dumpster fire that we all know. Starfield, they didn't release sales numbers for Starfield, but most sites are putting it estimated in the 3 to 5 million units sold range, with 75% of people who played it playing it on Game Pass. So how much money did they make from Starfield? Probably not a ton. But you compare that to something like Tears of the Kingdom, which sold 19.5 million copies. So 
if they had gotten that much money out of Starfield, I think that they might have stuck to their guns and say, no, we're going to keep this as an exclusive because it's bringing money to Xbox. It's bringing fans to Xbox. True. But the fact of the matter was it didn't bring that many people to Xbox. If they weren't already there, they didn't go out of their way to play Starfield. And so I think it has led to Microsoft kind of reevaluating and saying, is this exclusive philosophy really working for us if the games don't back it up, which they're not? Why would you continue on this losing streak in the quote unquote console wars? It doesn't make business sense. So now you just get rid of the console. And if everything's going to be more cloud-focused anyway, which it's Microsoft, Microsoft has Azure, which the home connectivity is greater than what it was before. There are, there are still a lot of people out there who don't have access to sufficient internet, but uh, a lot of people do. And a lot of people have fiber or ethernet, very strong ethernet connections to their house to where they can stream things, games and movies. That's the way this whole thing is going to be going uh, within the next 20 years. We're not going to see consoles anymore. We're just going to see applications, interfaces for these specific companies that say, hey, we own these games, so here's our interface. If you want to play these games, go into our interface. And I think Nintendo then better get their stuff together because then they would truly be a powerhouse if they were able to release the same kind of games that show up on the PlayStation, that show up on the Xbox, and play just as well on Nintendo. But then again, Nintendo releases a lot of first-party stuff that's hits, and maybe they don't feel the need to kind of join that fight. Yeah, I mean, I could see Xbox getting out of the the console war, quote-unquote, monetarily. It seems to like it would make sense. And then long-term, you know, if Sony did the same thing... Um, that only leaves Nintendo. And I just don't think that they would ever, uh, Nintendo is never going to be, you know, a PC gaming company. You know, if you don't have consoles, all you have is PC gaming. So I'd be okay with just Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true Nintendo fanboy. Yes. Blue, what about you? Would you be okay with just Nintendo? No. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) no. I I love Nintendo. I play a ton on my Switch, but I like having lots of different options and lots of different games. And I went to PlayStation the last two generations. So if Xbox decides they're going to completely revamp their business model, it it really doesn't matter much to me. Ever since the consoles became so expensive that you really couldn't conceivably buy both. Right. That I decided to go with PlayStation because they had more of the exclusives that I wanted than Xbox. And so if Xbox does decide to go console less, we're going to be only PC and streaming. Like you guys said, I think that probably is a, a very justifiable business move for them. The rumors of exactly that happening being announced next week has broken the hearts of their most diehard fans. <laughs> of course. On the internet. <laughs> And people are are losing their minds. It's 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 like the, their greatest love has betrayed them by taking their exclusives and and putting them elsewhere. But it it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then to kind of go back to the Nintendo Switch thing, I don't think Nintendo particularly cares if they can get a port of Starfield or not. They they get ports of AAA games as it is. They kind of run well. They kind of don't. You can have Mortal Kombat One and have it be a complete dumpster fire. You can have Hogwarts Legacy and have it like be squished down to one third of the size that it was on the <laughs> Xbox series to make it run on the switch. And it kind of works, but that it really makes no difference to Nintendo. They do their thing. And if the other companies want to port their stuff over, that's on them. Just so I don't get slaughtered in the comments. Uh, 
It's not that I'm totally uninterested in Xbox or PlayStation games. I just don't have the time, space, or money for that. I can barely play the Switch as it is, but uh, I still stand behind what I said before. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You at least play games from the 21st century, unlike those two. That's true. (laughs) So what do you think Xbox boss Phil Spencer, drink, Drink. Drink. is going to announce next week? I would be shocked if you actually announced that they were getting out of the, the console hardware business right now. I would be too. The Series X is too young in its life cycle. Yeah. Does that matter? I mean, they could still say by, they could announce it, but say that they're not going to get out of that space until 2025. They could probably end up saying that the Xbox that the Xbox X was their last console. That doesn't mean that they're still not going to support the already existing consoles. Well, they'll continue to support it for a while, but don't you think that would stop everybody who was still considering investing in the Series X from doing it? That would hurt sales, for sure. Would it hurt or would it help if people feel like, oh, I got to run out and grab an Xbox because uh, now they're just going to be gone and uh," it's going to create some sort of fear? And you're definitely going to get some idiots on eBay listing Of course. (laughs) No longer in production. $5,000, man. I know what I have. (laughs) Exactly. I know what it's worth. I know what I have. What do you think he's going to announce, Blue? I agree with you. I don't think they're going to announce the end of consoles. I think they'll wait. I think they'll bleed it out and keep people in the dark as long as possible before saying for sure we're doing this. And especially if they can still stoke the console war fires a little bit longer and try to stick it to Sony some more. And then Sony will announce the PS6 and it's $800. And then Microsoft will say, oh, yeah, well, we're announcing the Xbox dongle and it's $99 and everybody will run to them, something like that. But I do think that what they're going to announce next week is going to have something heavily to do with Game Pass or maybe a new a new branding for their streaming service or it'll be just be something as anticlimactic as, yeah, we're porting Starfield and Indiana Jones to other systems. You seem pretty confident that Sony's next console is going to be called the PS6. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not psychic, but I have a good feeling. She's got that ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Donnie? What do you think you're going to announce? Um, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's probably what they're going to announce is the fact that they're going to try and release some of these other games to other consoles. And maybe that's just like a trial basis thing. Maybe they're going to see how well they do, how much revenue they get from that. Because we're, let's let's think about this. Let's take Nintendo out of, the, out of the picture. You're just Xbox and you're just Sony. You have a game that you release strictly for your console, but your consoles are so expensive that not everybody can afford them. They make their one choice and that's it. They can't afford your console that you have this primary game. Now you're missing out on revenue that you would have otherwise gained, but because you have it exclusively on your console, you don't get that. So you release this game now for multiple consoles. That's a win-win because people... Don't have to go out and spend the money uh, on that specific console. They can buy two or three or four games that they would otherwise have had. That's still less than that console that they can now play and enjoy. And that keeps money coming back into your pockets. That to me is the smart move. I think this whole exclusivity stuff is just complete bullshit. 
It's a thing of the past. We don't need it anymore. <laughs> when consoles were $199 or $299, okay, great. You know, that was still a lot of money back in the day. But I, I think it's you really don't need that, especially with the way graphics look. There's no discernible difference, in my opinion, between an Xbox X and a PS5. There really isn't. The only thing that's a difference is, of course, when you look at Nintendo versus PS5 or Xbox. Yeah, but I'm going to miss the console wars. They're fun. They were fun. It was great to have everybody, you know, poking fun at other people and calling them losers for being an Xbox fanboy or a Sony fanboy or what have you, or getting your ass kicked out on the playground for wearing your Nintendo t-shirt. But I think it's time for us to grow up and move on (gasps) and kind of just come together as gamers and say, hey, whatever gaming console you want to play, that's great. This game, I can play it on this console. I can play it on that console. I can play it on my PC. And aren't we just happier that way? No, because you know what Microsoft doing this is going to mean. Microsoft stopping producing consoles is going to be one step closer to that digital future we know you fear so much. I hate the digital future. I really do. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If that's the way everything is going, I'm no longer going to be a modern gamer. Well, I mean, your name is Danny G Retro. There you go, Zach. (laughs) Thank you for backing me up. But he'll always have Call of Duty. All right. You know, you keep bringing that up every single time I have a valid <laughs> argument and you, you shove it in my face and you're like, here, eat it. Eat, eat Call of Duty. I'm like, that ah. is, that's the modern game that you play all the time. That's your modern game. Okay. And, and in all fairness, I, I play a, a ton of modern games. My Steam library, you know, I've, I've got a whole bunch of games in that thing. Do I technically own those games? No, I only own the license to play those games. And at any point, if Steam wanted to say, oh, we're just going to remove these from the service, they could. And I'd have no way to get them back. I hate that idea. I hate that aspect of modern gaming. I hate the idea of digital gaming. I I much rather have my physical copies of games that I can pop into any one of my consoles and play at any given time. I don't like the fact of having somebody else having control over my content. While we're wish casting, can can they also be uh, no day one patches? I like that request, and I'll honor it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by a Gamer Looks at 40 podcast. The show explores the history of video games through the stories and experiences of the everyday people who lived it. The podcast is returning on March 4th with a multi-month deep dive into the world of Final Fantasy. This week, Bill recommends episode 17, Eyes on the Grind, celebrating the SNES RPGs. In this episode, Bill and six guests discuss the embarrassment of riches that is the Super Nintendo RPG library. So this week's question is, what is your favorite Super Nintendo RPG? And yes, I think we all know Ryan's answer. Let Bill know your answer by sending him a tweet at a gamer looks at 40 on Twitter. I'll, I'll be Ryan. Chrono Trigger is the greatest and best game ever created. <laughs> oh, Sorry, Mar- Ryan, you were muted. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> I don't know. There are so many, so many great RPGs on the Super Nintendo. You've got Chrono Trigger. You've got the Final Fantasies. You've got Earthbound. I have a soft spot for Breath of Fire. And I know everybody hates the Ooh. first one. I liked it. I tried playing the Breath of Fire and it was just so lackluster. The characters were not relatable. The story was just eh. Okay. And I I, I just I couldn't get through it. 
Fine. What's your answer? It's not. It's not a dig at you. It's not a personal thing. Mine. I mean, you could definitely go with any of the Final Fantasy games, especially Mystic Quest. Um, but mine, my favorite SNES RPG game is Shadowrun. Ah. I freaking loved Shadowrun. I just got lost in that particular environment and that mindset, that cyberpunk, the the whole computer hacking in corporations and stuff like that. Loved it, loved every bit of it. And I played it a bunch as a kid, never really could get past a certain spot. But then a couple of years ago, I'm, I think about maybe five or six years ago, I actually sat down and played the game, grinded a bunch to, care, to, to up my character or level up my character, and finally completed that game after all those years. And man, did it feel good. Is that a um, is that not turn based battle Shadowrun? Uh, it is not turn based. No, it's it's um, uh, it's like live combat. So you might have turned me onto a game. You've never played the original Shadowrun for Super no, Nintendo. No, I, I don't. I don't play oh, RPGs, but it doesn't play like an RPG. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. Okay, <laughs> definitely definitely check that out. I mean, you still have the uh, you know talking to people. Um, it's, it's not like you walk up to somebody in a regular RPG and you have the bubble boxes and you have to go through all that. Mm -hmm. It actually goes to like a different screen and you see the two characters on here and it, it basically, the story progresses, you learn certain keywords and then you take those keywords to newer people that you talk to and you ask them about those things. And that opens up different dialogue, which advances the game. All right. But the whole while you're running around and shooting people. That's great. I am looking at... (laughs) I see why Donnie loves it so much. I'm looking at some videos right now. It looks, it looks. This might be something I have overlooked and might have to go check out in depth. Give it a try, um, and also check out the Sega Genesis version of Shadowrun. Two completely different games. Which one has the nudity? Uh, that would be the Sega Genesis version, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Instead of the blood code, it's the boob code. Sega does with Nintendo. <laughs> All right, fellow kids, grab your acid-washed jeans, your Walkman, mail in your CD request to Columbia House for only one penny, and ask your parents if they can take you to the local Pizza Hut to hang out with your friends, because where we're going, you'll wish you could stay there. This is the Retro Rewind for February 1994. Let's take a look at the top Billboard songs and their artists for this month. We have Celine Dion with The Power of Love. <laughs> I like that song. Not of course bad. you do. <laughs> Ace of Bass with The Sign. What a Man by Salt and Peppa. All for Love by Brian Adams, Sting, and Rod Stewart. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. We had the VHS copy of Disney's Three Musketeers. Oh, really? Kiefer Sutherland. So cute. Oh my God. My (laughs) sisters and I watched that VHS till it was bare. And before the movie was that music video. So we would watch that music video and just like sing in our cheesiest voices because it was so bad. And then we'd go watch Kiefer Sutherland and like everybody else who was in the movie, but mostly Kiefer Sutherland. I'm going to need to hear a little bit of that singing. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Is there a video we can watch of that? I'm sadly, sadly, no. <laughs> uh, we need to ask the parents for that. <laughs> <laughs> when there's someone that you know, then just 
Breathe Again by Tony Braxton, Mariah Carey, Without You slash Never Forget You, Mariah Carey with Hero, All for One with So Much for Love, Escape with Understanding, not really familiar with that one. I don't know that one, yeah. And my favorite, Richard Marks with Now and Forever. I do love me some Richard Marks. <laughs> it reminds me of like middle school dances. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, Endless Summer Nights, 1986, 1987. Little Donna G, love Richard Marks. Hot at the Theaters was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, nice. Mrs. Doubtfire, Philadelphia, Schindler's List. You look at those two movies, Philadelphia and Schindler's List, and then you have Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) On Deadly Ground, My Father the Hero, Blank Check, Grumpy Old Men, Blue Chips, and The Getaway. And a side note... About the movie Blank Check, caveat, it was the 90s. But did we really think it was a good idea to have a grown woman, a.k.a. Karen Duffy, kiss like a 12-year-old boy, like on the lips? <laughs> no, that was not a good idea. No, not that's, so much. That's the Malcolm in the Middle movie, right? The Malcolm in the Middle movie? No. What's Blank Check? It's, it's some kid, like, he's riding his bike and his bike gets run over by a criminal and the criminal is like in a hurry to meet another criminal. And so he says, here kid, give okay. your parents this. They'll know what to do with it. And yeah. it's a blank check. And so the kid goes to the criminal headquarters and says, oh yeah, here's this blank check. I wrote it for a million dollars. And he ends up getting the big money transfer that was meant to go to the criminals and he spends it all before they can catch him. Who's in yeah, that? I could have sworn it was the Malcolm, Nobody. Mil- Malcolm in the Middle kid, but. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? It says. But for a, a- Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm hung up on blank check. It says Brian <laughs> Brian Bonsall as Preston Waters. I yeah yeah. That sounds that? right. I'm gonna go down a huge rabbit hole. Sorry. <laughs> Brian Bonsall is an American rock musician, singer, guitarist, and former child actor. Uh, so what band is he playing then? I guess they weren't that good. <gasps> oh, he toured with the band The Ataris. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm familiar with them. No sh. Okay, sorry for the sidetrack. No, no, no. <laughs> that was a good sidebar. In the news, Jeff Galuli pleads guilty for his part in attack on American Olympic figure skater Nancy Kerrigan. Plea bargain confesses to racketeering in exchange for testimony implicating ex-wife Tanya Harding. He's a snitch. <laughs> Whitney Houston wins at the 21st American Music Awards. Howard Stern stops a would-be jumper on the George Washington Bridge. I remember that. Jack Nicholson uses a golf club to attack a car. And model... <laughs> Anna Nicole Smith hospitalized for a drug overdose. What are you doing in that car, man? (laughs) (laughs) This was a good month for the arcades. Um, Hot at the arcades this month was Street Fighter II, The New Challengers. Biff Boarding, which is an actual snowboarding game that you you stood on an actual snowboard and kind of controlled it. You have Bonk's Adventure, Hmm. Cyber Sled, Crime Patrol 2, Drug Wars. Shootout at Old Tucson, Power Instinct, Ridge Racer, and Virtual Fighter. Ooh. Okay, Virtual Fighter. Yeah, coming in in the end to save it. Because you're like, this is a great month for games. You're like, <laughs> so yeah, Street Fighter's at the beginning, and then Virtual Fighter at the end. And Bonk's Adventure is pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and Cyber Sled. Cyber Sled yeah. was too. I'm just saying it was, it was a nice, positive, positive month for a lot of arcade action. So it wasn't like, how did the arcades? One game. And you're like, this is the death... This is the death rattle of the arcades. Mm. Nope, nope. It was alive and well in 1994. <laughs> Give it a year or so. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be like that. 
In the video game news, in the strongest anti-violence statement yet from a top government official, Dan Lundgren, Attorney General of California, has written to 12 major video game companies and retailers asking them to stop the manufacturing, licensing, distribution, or sale of any video game that portrays graphic and contributive violence, including but not limited to Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. Ooh. These are the only two games Lundgren named specifically. Wait, hear him out. Hear him out. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> In the letter sent November 15th, 1993 to Nintendo, Sega, Capcom, Acclaim, Hasbro, and seven retailers, Lundgren makes it clear that he's not officially regulating violent video games, nor is he suggesting that legal action be taken to limit their availability. Rather, he appeals to the company's sense of corporate and personal responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Won't somebody think of the children? (laughs) To either remove the needless violence from the games or remove the games from the market. Let's call these violent games what they are, he writes. Totally unnecessary, completely irresponsible, and destructive to our efforts to create a safer and more humane community. Lundgren cites research to back his claim that violent video games encourage aggressive activity and antisocial behavior. Among his statistics is a reference to juveniles arrested for murder in the U.S., a number that increased by 119% from 1986 to 1991. Lundgren concludes by pointing out the realism of violence and adult-oriented themes in games, 50 million of which, he notes, are purchased each year by children under the age of 15. He also acknowledges the ironic timing of his request since it came just before the peak holiday shopping season. His final challenge is for industry leaders to explore new ways to challenge, educate, and entertain our youth rather than going for the cheap, mindless, misleading, and dangerous thrill of video game violence. Hey, Timmy, come on. We're going to go see this R-rated movie together. Between (laughs) 1986 and 1991, Mortal Kombat wasn't even out then. You are correct, because Mortal Kombat came out in like 1992. 92. Yeah. And Nintendo may owe you $3. <laughs> That's got to be worth six today. <laughs> in Redwood City, California, a San Mateo County judge approved a settlement that entitles buyers of Nintendo carts for the NES to a future $3 discount on new Nintendo games. This settlement is in response to a class action suit that alleged that Nintendo's use of a lockout security system in video game carts created a monopoly and was unfair to consumers. According to the suit, competing video game cartridge manufacturers were required to enter into a licensing agreement with Nintendo to gain access to the security system. Under the terms of the agreement, California consumers who purchased Nintendo cards from January 30th, 1986 to June 30th, 1993 are entitled to a $3 discount coupon on an 8-bit Nintendo cart. The offer will apply to a game to be selected by Nintendo during a one-week period (laughs) prior to June 30th, 1994. Wow. <laughs> that is a narrow window. <laughs> Can I take this coupon and go to any uh, video game convention now and say, hey, I want $3 off of this uh, Mega Man 5 Screw Hang Tab game, please? <laughs> no, I know no, you've got no, it for a million dollars. Nintendo gets to pick the game. Oh, what, do you, what kind That's of game That's the do you best think part about it is that Nintendo gets to pick the game. <laughs> best part? <laughs> the funniest part. Okay, funny. We'll go with funniest. So here, here's your uh, Back to the Future 2. You can have $3 off that. (laughs) But I don't want this game. (laughs) Hot at Blockbuster this month. For the NES, we had Tecmo Super Bowl, Kirby's Adventure, Tetris 2, Jurassic Park, Tecmo NBA Basketball, Cliffhanger, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Battletoads Double Dragon, Mario's Missing, and Last Action Hero. (laughs) <laughs> those suck <laughs> know, I'm, I'm a sucker for last action hero i love the movie i don't think i played the nes i played the super nintendo version but not the nes version oh um, maybe i'm thinking super nintendo version because 
Cliffhanger, Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Last Action Hero, those were all Super Nintendo games, as well as Wayne's World. So the previous versions on the Nintendo, they all sucked. So I'm surprising people are still renting these from Blockbuster. That's all that was left on the shelf. Yeah, there's that. Yes. That's everybody whose parents go, we don't need a Super Nintendo. We got a Nintendo at home. <laughs> right. Why would I get that system when they had this game on the old system? Doesn't make any sense. For the Super Nintendo, we have Aladdin, Mortal Kombat, NHL 94, Clay Fighter, Tecmo Super Bowl, Super Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, Robocop vs. Terminator, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, and NBA Showdown. For the Genesis, we had Eternal Champions, Sonic Spinball, Aladdin, Tecmo Super Bowl, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter II Championship Edition, Madden 94, Lethal Enforcer, Winter Olympic Games, and Robocop vs. Terminator. That's a good game. It is an amazing game. Great soundtrack, too. Yeah. And we had Sega CD games being rented at Blockbuster. At the same time as 8-bit Nintendo games. (laughs) Absolutely. What kind of madness is this? How quickly did those get ruined? Oh, yeah. There was this whole article in uh, one of the magazines that I read that they were trying to, they were doing CD rentals at Blockbuster's. But they were only doing it like 57 out of the 3,500 Blockbuster stores. And all 57 of these stores were in the San Francisco area. <laughs> so they were they were doing Sega CD, Turbo Duo, uh, Philips CDI, 3DO, and even Macintosh stuff. And I don't think that did very well. I can't imagine going to Blockbuster to pick out like Mac Paint or something. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it home and burning it. <laughs> there you go. So for the Sega CD, we had Sonic CD, Ground Zero Texas, Jurassic Park, Lethal Enforcers, Joe Montana NFL Football 1994, Microcosm, European Racers, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula Unleashed, and AH3 Thunderstrike. Didn't know it was such a big month for Dracula. Yeah. On all systems, right? Games released this month were Alfred Chicken for the NES, R.D. Lightfoot for the Super Nintendo, Bugs Bunny Rabbit Rampage for the SNES, Cool Spot, Madden NFL 94, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3 for the Genesis, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters for the NES, and Excalibur 2097 for the Super Nintendo. What a powerful month for video game releases. I like Cool Spot. It's a good I game. I know you do. It's, it's highly underrated. Yes, thank you. But Artie Lightfoot? Excalibur 2097? I've never even heard of these two. Okay, I thought you were saying that those were better than Cool Spot. I was like, I've never heard no, of these. No, no. <laughs> oh, we're about to throw down here. <laughs> the only game on this list that might have been cooler than Cool Spot was Sonic the Hedgehog 3. I thought you were going to say Sonic Spinball. I mean it. i say yes. <laughs> I love Sonic Spinball. All right, guys, I got to go. I'm hanging out with the members of TLC at this mansion that Lisa Left Eye Lopez shares with her boyfriend, and I want to make sure they know that I ain't too proud to pick. Hey, <laughs> don't let her near the mansion. Do matches. you smell smoke? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zach gets it. R.I.P. Uh, Left Eye Lisa Lopez. Just in case. Mm. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to episode 109 of Gamers Week Podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, Love Retro BTW, and a Gamer Looks at 40 Podcast for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Watch us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Gamers Week Podcast. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator.com. 
spring.com or if you want to do it the easy way follow the link in the show notes and join us on patreon at patreon.com slash gamers week finally since you made it all the way to the end of this episode please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did we really do value your feedback and while you're there consider subscribing on itunes spotify or your podcast platform of choice zach thank you so much for filling in tonight this was really fun thanks for having me yeah thank you zach great chatting with you guys And like we said earlier, we'll have all of Zach's links in the show notes. So as soon as you wrap it up here, head on over and check out absolutely the best podcast, A Work in Progress. So do you think people are listening to our podcasts uh, on their Sega Dreamcast while firing up the web browser disk? That would be amazing. Do you think that's a possibility? (laughs) No. No. Hmm. (laughs) I would love to test that theory. There's got to be a way, right? I mean, either that or a PS2. That seems more likely because I think the Dreamcast had a GD ROM. I think there was might be actually it'll play a regular CD. No, you, yeah, I think, I think there should be a way to do that. I have one of the web browsers for the Sega Dreamcast. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Nice. Oh, try it. You need to make a video of that and you need to post it on TikTok if it works. The only thing I will say is that I don't think there's an Ethernet connection on the back of the uh, the Dreamcast. So I'll have to investigate that. I don't know if it's an RG45 or if it's an Ethernet. So I'll, we'll see on that one. Mm. Stay tuned to TikTok mm. <laughs> to hear more. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, Ned. skills welcome to gamers week uncut welcome to gamers week uncut welcome to gamers week uncut patrons with benefits this is the unscripted patron only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes we don't know where the conversation will go but we're sure it will be weird this fish just went right on my nipple and i'm just like I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's dick in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your dick fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> If you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek. 